Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Uh, welcome to Open Plaza, podcast of the Hispanic Theological Initiative. My name is Tony Lin, and I am here with Reina Grande, the author, award-winning author of a best-selling, uh, two best-selling memoirs, The Distance Between Us and A Dream Called Home, also the author of uh, three novels, yes. the latest of which is right, A Ballad of Love and Glory that came out in 2022. And she is also the editor of a number of, uh, of, of books one of which is Somewhere We Are Humans, which is a collection of, uh, of stories by immigrants. And so welcome, Reina. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for joining us at the Open Plaza uh, community. And as we, as we begin, obviously not, not every listener would have uh, had the privilege of, of having read your books and, uh, and knowing, knowing you. So t- tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do now, and, and then we'll get into, for those of us who read your, your novels, we can get into the details of, to catch up on your, your life. <laughs> okay, uh, well, a little bit about myself is uh, I'm originally from Guerrero, Mexico. I immigrated to the U.S. when I was nine years old, and I was undocumented for about five years. I went on to study creative writing because I fell in love with reading, with books and, and stories. And thanks to my English professor in community college, um, she, she made me or helped me realize that I could pursue a career as a writer. And so that's what I decided I wanted to do. And I went to the University of California, Santa Cruz and I learned uh, the craft of uh, storytelling, and that's what I have been doing professionally for the last 17 years or so. But I started writing when I was 13. But uh, professionally, my career uh, started 17 years ago with the publication of my first novel, Across a Hundred Mountains. And I'm just really grateful, you know, to be able to to say this is my job, right? Um, telling stories and being able to to promote and 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 advocate for my immigrant community through the stories that I tell. Yeah. Did, did you did you always know you wanted to write fiction? Because that that's your first passion, right? You studied yeah. fiction. Yeah. I mean, growing up, that's pretty much all I read was fiction. I I didn't really have much exposure to nonfiction or memoirs, and I read novels, I read short stories, so that's what I wanted to do, and when I went to the university, I was a fiction major, so that's all I read, you know, just fiction, fiction, and when I started writing my first novel, I wanted it to be about me. I hadn't, I hadn't heard like the term autofiction, but that's basically what I was writing. I was writing autofiction, and I decided to 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 use my experiences as an immigrant to write my first novel, which is it. it it's kind of funny because it started as me writing about my own story. But then as I wrote the novel, it became kind of like an alternate memoir because I ended up not writing about the life I had lived, but rather the life I might have lived if Mm -hmm. my father had not returned to Mexico for me. Mm -hmm. So then the novel, it's almost like an alternate memoir about like what, what, what my life would be like, right? If, if my father had not returned. And by doing that, you know, the fiction really allowed me to explore my deepest fear as a child, which was that I I was afraid of being abandoned and forgotten by my father. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, so the first book I've read of yours was the was your memoir, "The Distance Between Us." Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and that was my third book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I thought of uh, of all the memoirs this time, and there weren't that many when you know that that came out twenty twelve, I think, right? So, yeah. So that was just when when we were getting more Latino authors, right? You, they they weren't. You know, it, it wasn't a, 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 certainly not as many as, as as we have now. Still, we don't have enough, but not as many as we have now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and not not memoirs like yours, but I don't know what it was. Maybe because we're, we're probably around the same generation, right? There, there was just something when when you write about it. Even as you know, I'm an immigrant from from Argentina, right? Very very different from your context. But there were there were there was enough there for. For I guess Gen Xers, right? Mm -hmm. Like you know, Gen Xer, you got you know the Chavo de Locho, even you. I remember the uh, what is it, Cristal? Do you remember Cristal? Ah, Cristal, <laughs> I love song, Cristal. Right? All of us, every every Gen Xer, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of guys want to admit it, but we we were all addicted, right? All right. Asio, right. Cristal, después la la quinceañera. I don't know if you were. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, quinceañera. Those were like the the top. Uh, mm -hmm. But there, there was something that connected the, to me that when I read yours, and and also the, the, the the re, the the way that you describe your your family with relationship with your siblings, right? The the, the way that, that you're able to convey those those emotions, mm -hmm. right? In uh, on, on paper, that that's so familiar to mm -hmm. to immigrants. Right? Yeah, it's very different. Mm -hmm. Right. And I actually I'm really glad I waited till my third book to write the memoir, because when I first started my 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 first book, I just didn't feel prepared yet. You know, I, I feel that the beauty about fiction is that it allows you to have a distance between you and the story you're telling because you're not the protagonist of the story. So like in my first novel, I created a character to stand in for me, even though I was writing things that had happened to me, but it, it wasn't me, it was my character who was going through those things. And so my first two novels really like prepared me because I learned how to write a, a, a book. I, I strengthened my skills as a writer. And then emotionally, I also learned like some techniques of how to write. And um, so then when I started the memoir and asked my third book, I felt more confident that I could get the story done, but it was still really painful because the thing with when you write memoir is you have to live, live it all, all over again. You know, the most traumatic moments of your life, you're reliving them as you're writing about them. And not only are you writing what happened, but also how, how it felt as you were going through those things. So then like I had to um, re-experience all of those emotions, all of that trauma, it was so hard, but then after I finished uh, writing The Distance Between Us, I realized that um, it was my memoir that allowed me to start healing from all mm. of that by confronting my past and by reflecting on it and understanding, whereas my fiction hadn't really allowed me to, to heal as much as the memoir did. Now, did you know that going in when you started writing the memoir, or what? What was your no. motivation, right? After a successful novel, why, why, why? Uh, I think part of the motivation was that I was getting really enraged about the way um, some some members of this society talk about immigrants, and then the refusal to to do the right thing, especially for undocumented youth, you know? And so like the DREAM Act ha has been proposed for many times and it never passes. And so when I, when I started writing the memoir, the DREAM Act had failed to pass it once again. And I was just feeling really upset and I, I was feeling helpless too, you know? It's like, what can I do? So I turned to my writing and I, and I thought, well, maybe if I write my own story about being an undocumented youth, um, that might 
bring some comfort and some some encouragement to other mm -hmm. undocumented youth, but also it might help people understand what it's like, you know, what this trauma is like, what this experience is like. And, and so that was one of the motivating factors for me wanting to tell my, my real story, not, no longer in fiction form, but now actually as a memoir. So for, for those of us who read your novels, uh, catch us up. How, how are your sisters? How how's the family especially betty no the, yeah those um, who read the dream call home <laughs> right right yeah. well it's kind of funny because it's when i do school visits um and sometimes i bring my siblings you know mm -hmm. or i bring my son or i bring like my nieces my nephews and and then like my young reader you young readers especially they get shocked because they they think that that we're still little kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like here we are all middle-aged mm -hmm. <laughs> and then in the in the book you know like a dream called home my son's still a baby like he's a little boy and mm -hmm. then now he's 21 so when I bring him with me like everybody's so shocked because they were expecting <laughs> me to bring a little kid with me. <laughs> so it's kind of dating. It they it's dating me. And I tell my my husband is like, how much longer can I keep talking about my my childhood now that I'm like a middle-aged woman? <laughs> it just doesn't sound right to me anymore to like go up on a stage and say, Oh, when I was four years old, this happened to me, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. So, and now I'm getting gray hair and I keep dying it just to like, to, to, to try to like, um, still, you know, stop time a little bit, but I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult. So, um, but my readers kind of expect mm -hmm. a young, a young person to show up. So what what does uh, what do your kids or your your nieces and nephews say when when they read stuff you know when mm. they read listen between us or drink home, yeah. home right that I remember that story I think Margo was the one lady Okaka unos amigos oh yeah <laughs> yeah but they now they're adults right it's so, it, it's well, it, it's so funny right I mean but it's sad it's funny sad mm -hmm. it's funny sad because my sister Margo she she really took the brunt of all of that like she was trying to protect me and my siblings mm -hmm. and and because she was older like she understood more of what was happening than I did and she was always trying to protect me from all of that but she was hurting she mm -hmm. was hurting and and the way that she would try to deal with the hurt was sometimes to to try to hurt others you know and so like with these children we were so jealous of them because of the way their mother just loved them and like she and and her the way she displayed her love right in front of us it it oh man it it really hurt because it 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 just re reminded us in a very painful way that we didn't have that kind of love mm -hmm. you know and so through the years like sometimes I I still feel that way like like with friends for example who have really great relationships with their mothers sometimes I, ha I have mother envy you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so I go around feeling feeling envious I even feel envious of my own daughter because she has an amazing mom <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's like oh man I tell my daughter not only does she have a, a good mom she has such a great dad too you know and mm -hmm. and sometimes I feel jealous of my own daughter but then but then it soothes my heart to give all that love right to to my daughter because in a way it's it's like giving little Reina that love through my daughter mm -hmm. And, and it comforts me to know that um, perhaps I didn't grow up with, with, with that love that I really needed as a child, but now I'm the mother that, that can give that love to my mm -hmm. own children. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the reason why your, your anecdote of, of Cristal 
it's, I remember it so clearly, not, not only because I was also a fan of the show, but because it, I always think of that now that when, um, when they talk about mental health and young people and social media, right? I think of that because you said you, you identify because Cristal also had, you know, her mom abandoned her on the fashion. Mm-hmm. She also grew up without. And I thought that that was the first time I, I, I saw those novels in those lights, right? Because I, I grew up with mm-hmm. the family. I had my parents. I, I was just a fan of the show. I, I never saw it in, yeah. in that light, right? And and I'm thinking now, so kids, young kids today, right? They, they have on their devices, they're seeing this filter mm-hmm. life, right? Right, that, right. And, and uh, what, what yeah. it must make them feel. Right? Yeah. I always connected to orphans, you know, mm-hmm. that's why like Chris, Cristal, I picked up on that immediately, you know, that here's this orphan girl didn't, was abandoned by her mother. And so she always had that hole in her heart, you know, mm-hmm. that, um, that, that abandonment. And then like, that's why I connected so much with um, Anna Green Gables was another one of my, my favorite stories, because again, like she was an orphan. And and her parents died, obviously. So it's not like they abandoned her, but she grew up in orphanages, and and she kept being abandoned by the people that would adopt her, and then they would abuse her, and then you know bring her back. And so I can I I was always connecting with characters who mm-hmm. didn't have parents, because yeah. that 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 was my my trauma, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just so, so just like I was jealous of all of my friends who had great mothers I then I found a connection with all the orphans in literature and in tv and then films that I would watch yeah yeah and and that little kid is still in us right that little yeah. kid we can still we can still go as that's what I tell everybody now because you know in our world we, we meet we meet unfortunately right we meet a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of kids like us in, you know, traumatizing in different different ways, right? But for all of us, there's a lot of this sense of self hate, right? That you know, mm. why was our back like background like this? Why did we have to grow up like this? And and we we a lot of time, you know, I know for me, right? I, I grew up with a lot of self hatred, right? That mm. you know, why did I have to look this way? Why why am I the different one? And and we try to kill that little kid, right? And yeah and we're not and we're supposed to love that little kid you know I'm, I mean that's really the I think that's that's the best thing to heal ourselves is that we gotta love that kid inside of us that's hurting yeah yeah and, and we still can right love and learn how to self-soothe you know mm-hmm. yeah so so the your edited book um that just came out last year. Somewhere we're humans. Mm-hmm. Right? You you went on and collected the the stories of of all these immigrants from different countries, different situations. Some have been deported. Not everybody is here now, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I thought it was a, it was an amazing collection. Uh, I'm curious is if there's a volume two coming along. Oh. Are you thinking of? I mean, we're definitely thinking about it. We just got to get our publisher on board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that we're hoping in the future we could do because just putting this one together, it was hard to not be able to include all the all the submissions. You know, mm-hmm. we, we had a huge number of submissions and originally we were only going to do 25 pieces but we had so many wonderful stories that we just kept adding more and adding more. And, and eventually it, it got to 41. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point we said, okay, we cannot fit anymore. This book is getting really long, but um, we would love to be able to do another, another um, volume and include more countries. Mm-hmm. You know, We were only able to include about 20 countries in this one but we we want to include other countries because they're undocumented immigrants from all over the world yeah and um so so this is a a a really beautiful volume it captures the experiences of immigrants but also um many of our contributors are are from the lgbtq community you mm-hmm. know 
And so we're not just talking about like geographical borders or political borders or language borders, but also like gender and sexuality mm -hmm. and, and so many other kinds of things that, that, that our, contributors, our contributors wrote about. So uh, I love the collection. Um, also, like it wasn't intentional. It just happened this way that the majority of our contributors were children when they came to this country. Mm -hmm. So, so most of the pieces in there are our childhood stories uh, from, you know, from that, that perspective. And if we were to do another volume, I would love to include a little bit more of um, parents, you know, the, the older immigrant perspective, especially the parents. And that's why like my, my piece is about parenting. Because mm -hmm. I have written a lot about my childhood. I have written a lot about me being, a, you know, from the daughter's perspective, I write about my parents. And the piece that I wrote for the anthology was more about me reflecting on being a mother and how my childhood traumas impact the way I parent my children. And so I kind of like that. And, and I actually want to keep writing more now about about motherhood because mm -hmm. that's the place where I'm at now you know and I want to reflect on how all these childhood traumas this um, experience with abandonment you know not just physical abandonment but emotional abandonment mm -hmm. how that has impacted the way mm -hmm. I, I, I interact with my own children um, the mistakes that I've made as a parent but also how far I've come from being the, the kind of parent that my parents were to me, you know? So, um, so I, I want to, I want to reflect on all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it, an underlying theme that I saw in a lot of those stories that, that we don't hear about often is, is the things that we lose when we come, mm -hmm. right? That, and, and that's something I, I, I'm always curious. I always ask my parents if they would still have done this, right? Because they can't talk to their grandkids, right? There's mm. uh, the culturally, right? Already with, with me, it's already broken. You know, my, I was born in Taiwan, right? My, so my parents are Taiwanese. And after I, we immigrated to, to Argentina, yeah, so they already lost some there and then they can't come here and you know the yeah, yeah. The, the, the the things that they, they yeah lost but they, you never think that right you just trying to think to, to, they they right they were just trying to think of get out we have to make it right just trying mm. to survive and now they know and right how how do you process that right I'm, I'm yeah no i mean that is that is the 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 heartbreaking part about immigration is that is that you're going to make a lot of sacrifices as a family and you are going to lose a lot. You know, we gain, we do gain a lot, but we also lose and mm -hmm. we lose things that we're never going to get back. You know, especially, for example, our relationship with our native country. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be the same. No, no, because you will go back, you're not from there, and you're here, you're not from here. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, so especially those of us that migrated as children, I think it's so much harder to immigrate as a child than as an adult. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, our our identities are not formed. And, and so when we immigrate, we go through this existential crisis because then there's a point where, like, who am I? You know, mm -hmm. where do I belong? Where is home? Am I from here? Am I from there? Um, and then like you have to learn how to live in that in that middle space between the 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 two countries and the two cultures and the two languages. And the one thing I do appreciate, and I, I appreciate it now more as an adult is that this experience of being on the outside and being on the inside mm -hmm. and um it has really helped me to 
to have a, 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 a different understanding of like Mexico and the U.S., because mm -hmm. I'm able to rotate in and out of both cultures. So then I could see them from within and also from outside, right? Yeah. Um, and it allows me to like, to appreciate the good things about both countries, but also to be very critical of both because mm -hmm. I'm able to see the flaws by looking at them from the outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you were putting together this um, this collection, what I'm sure people people ask you, and you had to defend it, right? Why why immigrant stories, right? Why this wide variety of immigrant stories? For us, we know, right? We we have to bear witness, right? We have yeah. to just tell tell the world, leave a record of 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 our experiences, but. But why why would the the average person right you we we look at you know the, the books that are being sold the the gatekeeping places and mm -hmm. right? this and and our stories are not there right yeah and so this is still a, a question that I that I wrestle with this is you know open plaza is mostly academic our scholarship it's it's always a side thing right they teach U.S history and then oh by the way there's a a week we'll dedicate. Right. right, right. Never, it's never the yeah. core. And I feel our, our stories, even though it's so core to America, right? We are not in those conversations. So, so how, what would you say to somebody? Well, who, I'll say that the the immigrant story is the American story, and so if if we're gonna read anything, we should be reading more immigrant stories. I mean, this is this country is a nation of immigrants, and it was created by immigrants, and mm -hmm. and so it's important for us to always be reading immigrant stories because it reminds us of our origins, and and how this country has gotten this far is because of the contributions of immigrants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then, then, and now, you know. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of, because I still read quite a bit in in Spanish, right? And there are a lot of, especially los argentinos, los autores argentinos. It's hard to read a, a novel from uh, from uh, uh, an author from Latin America in, in any country and not get a hint, right? That, that this is, these countries, have been affected by the immigration, right? Whereas in the U.S., you, a lot of this again, this New York Times, you know, novels, best-selling novels, right? You you would think that there are only white people in this country, right? Some of those novels, right? And some right. of those I enjoy. I'm not you know opposed to mm. to reading reading it, but there there's just something about this culture, right? That that uh, that others. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the problem with the publishing industry being, mm -hmm. you know, about 80 percent white uh, within the industry. And so they're going to be publishing the books that they relate to. So then they publish a lot mm -hmm. of stories with white characters in them. And then um, writers of color have such a hard time trying to get published. And when we do get published, we get marginalized even within literature because we're put we're put in in the you know the ethnic sections, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're not considered like American literature or Asian literature, Latino literature, black literature. It's like what? <laughs> Yeah. So that is something that we need to keep um, pushing against mm -hmm. and and making sure that that we put pressure on the industry to be more diverse and more inclusive uh, and not just, you know, the, the the book industry, but even like, you know, the film industry, which also tends to be um, very white and and actors of color have such a hard time 
getting getting work, getting parts where like speaking parts even. Um, so they keep they continue to erase us in in all sectors of society. And I think that is it it just it's like an endless a never ending battle. It gets exhausting, you know, it gets so exhausting that every time like I sit down to write a book, it's always about pushing against that invisibility. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna write a book because I really enjoy storytelling. Like there comes so there's so much more to it. It's like seeing writing as a act of of activism, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 uh, and uh, the battle for like social justice and social change, and and it's like, why can't we just why can't just we just be writers? Why do we we also have to be activists? But I mean, that's just the country that we live in. We have to we have to see our art as a form of activism. Yeah, yeah, and I, I wish more of the the white established authors right will promote more of our books right as a, as their way of activism because a lot of these are progressive right. so claim to be progressive mm -hmm. uh, people but but still their writing and the stories they tell it's, it's very monolithic right it's very, it comes from a very unique one eurocentric white perspective so, right. so Reina, I, I have a, a I, I, I like to ask artists this, this question because I, I have a, as a, as a scholar, I'm not good at imagining things. I get punished for making things up. <laughs> so <laughs> what what does an America, you know, uh, this country, right? What does an America look like where our stories are no, normalized, right? If immigrant stories, right, our stories are just mm -hmm. the norm. Right. Have you ever thought of, of that? Like, what, what would it be like for mm -hmm. us to wake up in the morning, walk outside, and everybody we encounter, they, they get it, right? When, when we go somewhere, when we have a, you know, problem getting the right word or, you know, the, the, all these little uh, nuances and intricacies, right, mm -hmm. of, of the immigrant life. It's just norm, normal everybody gets it like what what does that country look like and what yeah well I, I mean i think it would be a country that lives more in harmony um where you know we're not traumatizing people where communities are not feeling like every day they're in a state of emergency you know and all that constant like chronic stress and and um anxiety and depression i mean all of that takes a toll on us as a community so i feel that we would be a healthier community that um is more supportive and more inclusive and where people are allowed to thrive not just be in a state of survival all the time but actually thrive and and you know and um create a place where everybody has a chance of reaching their full potential so that i mean i guess it's like a utopia right mm -hmm. like and and i think we could i think we could do it but it's it's gonna take a lot of work to to get there um and we definitely need to have better leaders uh, especially political leaders who can can help create that kind of change but i don't know i mean right now like i just see we're always getting excited excited when another election happens and then it's like it's same old same old you know yeah well my my theory i tell everybody artists are going to lead the way Artists, I don't, I have no, no confidence in politicians. But, well, I th yeah, I think, I think we're always leading the way. It's a big mm -hmm. responsibility, but we do. I mean, artists, 
artists is what keeps the society going. I mean, global society. And I think we saw that even, you know, during the lockdown, right? During the pandemic, it was the artists who got us through because we all turned to art. And when we were all feeling all this, 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 uncertainty and this worry for the future when we were our at our lowest we turned to art and it was art that carried us through mm -hmm. yeah 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 absolutely uh, i want to talk a little bit about your your latest novel the ballad of love and glory uh why why that title <laughs> why a ballad of love and glory yeah um well, I think ballad because the novels about the Irish and the Mexican community and the Irish and the Mexicans love their ballads. Um, and then the novel is a love story, but it's also a war story. And the characters, you know, they, they each have their own desire for glory, whether it's military glory, <laughs> Or it's, you know, um, the glory, bringing glory to their country, right? Mm -hmm. um, or personal glory. So when we were thinking about titles, my, my, my preferred title, the one I, I really, really wanted was A Country Devoured. Mm. That was the title, which is completely different. But because I was writing about Mexico being devoured by the United States, you know, I mean, half of Mexico got devoured. Mm -hmm. And I really love, I really love that image of a country being devoured. So I proposed it, but it wasn't approved. So then we brainstormed some ideas for the title. And that was the one that got chosen, that, that was approved. Um, it's not my favorite, to be honest. I feel that it in it just makes it sound like my novels are romance, but it's it's not a romance. It's a very heavy war story, very political story, and it's infused with romance, but it's not a romance. Yeah. And it's definitely not something that romance readers would be interested in. But it's it's for readers who really love history and who want to learn more about this time period, you know, of the, the Mexican-American War and the, the, I mean, or the U.S. invasion of Mexico, um, who want to learn more about the, this, this major, major historical moment in, you know, the 19th century, um, the conflict between these two countries and the fight for the Rio Grande and learn how the southern border was created. I mean, this is really the novel is the origin of the the border between Mexico and the United States yeah. and how it came to be created. The, as I was reading it, and that's what I thought, I thought this was a, an amazing historical novel, right? But, and, and I was, as I was reading it, I thought, wow, the, the level of research you did for this book, that that's like a dissertation. And then I kept reading and I was like, Actually, this is two dissertations because <laughs> you you could have gotten two PhDs right researching this book because you you had to research the history of Mexico, but then you went and researched the entire Irish, like you went back all the way to Ireland and you you had this obscure you know against ballads that right, right these mm -hmm. songs that 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 the the Irish the Patricios will will sing and 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 you. You 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 got into the heads of how on you know nineteenth century. Irish yeah, no, yeah. I, I I I should have gotten a PhD by this you point. Got two PhDs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I read because when I was researching the novel, I read everything I could find on the Mexican American War, and then I had to read a lot about Texas history also. Um, in the Texas Rebellion, right? And then I read a lot about each individual battle that took place. Mm -hmm. um, I read a lot of soldier diaries. I read biographies, like Santana's biography. 
uh, Ulysses's Grant's memoirs, Juan Seguin's memoirs. Um, and then I, I had to read a, a lot of books on, on um, curanderismo because Jimena is a, is a mm -hmm. healer. So then I had to learn all about like medicinal plants and, mm -hmm. and remedies and what kind of plants were growing in South Texas, Northern Mexico. Uh, when were they blooming? <laughs> Uh, what kind of animals, you know, so all the flora, the fauna, I had to research all of that. And then, of course, I had to do a, a lot of research on Irish history and culture and language um, because I needed to really understand the psychology of my Irish protagonists. I needed to know why they did what they did and really like understand it and get inside their heads and see the world through their eyes so it was it was incredibly intense researching all of it but I ended up really loving it because I learned a lot you know I learned a lot of the history that I was never taught in school and learning this history was also very empowering because it helped me to understand like the social, political, historical context of my own experience as a Mexican, as an immigrant. Um, so it, it empowered me uh, writing this book, especially understanding how uh, the Mexican community was impacted and how the Mexican-American community living in the United States, that we have always been here. You know, and yet so many people in this society are constantly making us feel like we're the outsiders, like we're, we're the foreigners, that we're the invaders. And then in the novel, I'm like, wait a minute, who were the invaders? You know, it wasn't us. We were here first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long did it take the, the research? Well, I spent about seven years working on the novel on and off. I wasn't like working on it like all the time. I put it away two times. Um, I started working on the novel in 2014 and then I put it away to do the adaptation of The Distance Between Us. Mm -hmm. I, adapt, I adapted it for Maybe young children. readers. Yeah. So then I put it away and then the, the, the book came out. And then I kept working on the novel and then I had to put it away again when I wrote A Dream Called Home. And then I came back to it. So I, so I kept alternating between mm -hmm. like the memoirs and then coming back to the novel and then going again back to the memoirs and then coming back to the novel. And I actually kind of like that because writing the memoirs is always so social, like emotionally draining, you know? like writing about my own life, my own experiences, it drains me emotionally. So then switching to fiction where I'm not the protagonist of the story really helps me because then I'm able to write like from a different part of my my brain and, and it allows me to kind of um, recover from feeling so vulnerable when I write memoir. So anyway, so then that so that's kind of what happened. And then when um, the other thing that helped me to write the novel was the pandemic, because I had 200 pages when the pandemic started. And as I was writing like um, about, you know, the, the battles and all this violence and the deaths and all this misery that my characters we're dealing with, I was putting all of my own emotions into the novel that the pandemic was bringing out in me. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we were, we were living at a time where like, we were all worried about the future. There was so, so much anxiety about the future and not knowing like, like um, not even being able to plan for next week because those plans may just fall apart, right? 
And then there was a lot of anxiety and, and uncertainty and worry and stress. So I was feeling it in my body. So then what I would do is every time I would sit down to write, I, I realized, well, Jimena and John are experiencing the exact same emotions because they're also living through a time in their lives where their world is being upended. They also don't know what's going to happen next week. They don't even know if they're going to live through the, the, the battles and survive next week, you know? Mm -hmm. So they were living like day to day. Um, and so then I, ch I kind of channeled all of my emotions into what they were feeling um, during this uncertain time that, that they were living through. Wow. And I think maybe that's why the novel got so dark too, because it did, it got dark and it got violent. And I know like my battle scenes, there's a lot of very graphic descriptions of like brain splattered everywhere and mm -hmm. blood and gore and crunching bones under your feet, you know? And it's because of that, because I was in a dark place when I was writing those scenes. How, how do you know when a novel is done? Right, so something like that you can work. You can keep going. Right? <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I, and I kept, I have kept going because um, even when the, after the novel was published, mm -hmm. there was, I still kept reading it and reading it and saying, oh my God, I should have done this. Oh, I should have cut that. So then um, when the paperback was coming out, I actually made some edits to the paperback because I still wanted to keep playing with it. I wasn't done, but uh, so when the hardcover came out, I still wasn't done with it, but mm -hmm. you know, like it, it, it was scheduled to come out. So it came out. And then um, as we were getting ready for the paperback, I asked my editor, Hey, is it okay if I make a few edits to this thing? So she said, yes. So then I cut like little, like a paragraph here or a mm -hmm. paragraph there or a sentence here that, um, and even now, like I could still read it and say, oh man, I should have mm -hmm. done this. I should have done that. So I don't think you really, you ever really done with the project. You just have to let it go and just say, you know, this is, this is the best I could do at this moment. What was it like? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, my, my writing style has changed a lot. I mean, when you compare it, you compare ballad to Across a Hundred Mountains, it's completely different. The writing mm -hmm. is different. The style is different. The voice is different. The syntax and diction is different. You know, everything has changed. Yeah. Well, and, and this one is where you have such a prominent... I think right the the your your first novel was such a prominent non uh, you know I, I, well basically Irish voice right yeah that, yeah that, that you you have to get so much into his head and and I'm wondering what what was it like to to do that um you know surprisingly I had an easier time writing John Riley than Jimena because and I never thought that that it was gonna be that way you know because Jimena is my Mexican character yeah. and so she should have been the easy one but it was John Riley that I connected with the most because he, as an immigrant I was able to form a very deep emotional connection with him and um so so I that's where I started from with him was being able to see the world through his eyes as an as an immigrant and also as someone who experienced a lot of like um ethnic discrimination mm -hmm. and prejudice in a way that I had myself experienced it too, you know, I have firsthand experience with the trauma and drama of being an immigrant in this country. And so I gave that to John Riley. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, I had to do research in terms of the Irish voice, being able to capture that Irish voice. So I, I read a lot of um, 
I read a lot of stories, 19th century Irish stories, especially like the Irish peasants of the 19th century because they have a very unique way of speaking. And so I had to read a, like a lot of those stories and I made a, a list of vocabulary words or expressions that they would use or like I had to pay really careful attention to how they structure their sentences or they're like a lot of times they ask questions in a very unique way, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so so I paid a lot of attention to those things. And I um, I ended, I also hired a Irish historian to read my manuscript and mm -hmm. he read it twice. He gave me a lot of feedback and we would talk a lot about, like I would ask him questions, for example, like, as John Riley is moving through Mexico, what are some comparisons that he would be making with Ireland, you know, or what are some contrasts that he would see mm -hmm. between yeah. Mexico and Ireland and the Irish culture? Um, so I was, I worked so hard on John Riley mm -hmm. that um, I actually neglected Jimena a lot because I just took for granted that because she's Mexican, uh, she was that I was going to capture her voice so easily. But then, uh, you know, I, I gave the manuscript to Macarena to read. And she says to me, Reina, your Irishmen sound more Irish than your Mexican sound Mexican. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, my God, I totally neglected my Mexican characters. So then I had to go back and do another draft where I paid attention to, to Jimena's voice or to Santana's voice and try to recreate because they're speaking Spanish and um, so especially Santana. So I, I wanted to, to recreate uh, the, the Spanish um, like cadence, the rhythm of Spanish, but in English. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up using words that are like very formal English, but that sound like Spanish. You know, like for example, when Santana says, my heart palpitates with joy. Mm -hmm. And I use the word palpitate because in Spanish it's palpitar, you know, so mi corazón palpita. Whereas in English, palpitate sounds very formal, but that's, that's very close to the Spanish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in uh, part of the audience for Open Plaza are our scholars, right? Young, young Latinos uh, mm -hmm. getting their PhD. A lot of them are studying different fields of, of religion and not all religion, but, you know, Latino culture. Uh, what, what would you tell them that, that uh, one, whether you have words of encouragement because they're facing all the, the challenges that, that, uh, that we all face. But also for those who are, who are looking to fill the gap in the, in the literature, right? In the scholarship of our communities, right? What, what would you encourage them to, to study and, and focus on? Yeah, well, I mean, I think regard, whatever it is that they're interested in and whatever, um, whatever speaks to them, you know, I, I'm going to say that one thing to remember is that nobody can say it the way you can, mm. no matter what topic you decide to write about, you know, it's always going to be unique. Even if people have written about the same topic many times, nobody's going to write it or think about it or, or be able to dissect it or reflect on it the way you can because you have your own unique perspective, your, your lived experiences shape how you view things. And, and so that, it, that gives you your very own unique voice. Mm -hmm. and, and so as you're, you know, sometimes you go through feeling insecure that you don't have anything to say or why would anybody care? And like somebody else has already done this before or, or written about this before, just remember that no, nobody can say it the way you can say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For those who are um, 
not accustomed to reading uh, literature by Latinos or immigrants, well, what would you recommend? What's a what's a good gateway book into into immigrant stories that you would you would recommend to to adults? All of my books. <laughs> <laughs> I start with mine. <laughs> no, there's so many great books, um, especially like, you know, the immigrant or undocumented experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Javier Zamora just published a, a memoir called Solito yeah. Yeah. that's doing really well. And he also has poetry. He has a poetry book where he also writes about his immigrant experience. Marcelo Hernandez Castillo wrote a, uh, his memoir called um, Children of the Land. Rafael Agustin has a memoir called Illegally Yours that just came out. Julissa Arce has three books. Um, uh, My Underground American Dream, Someone Like Me and You Sound Like a White Girl, which mm -hmm. are really great books on immigration also. Carla Villavicencio, wrote a book called um, Undocumented Americans, mm -hmm. which is a, it's a really beautiful book um, where she writes about, you know, uh, immigrants that it doing work that we sometimes don't acknowledge, you know, like there's a, a really powerful essay in her, in her book where she writes about the, the immigrants who helped um, after 9-11, you know, and who helped clean all of that up and who got sick and mm -hmm. and yet you know their contributions go un, un, unacknowledged mm -hmm. um so those are some of the books that that i really love uh reading that i think capture that that immigrant experience really well mm -hmm. um oh another writer that i love is leila lalami mm -hmm. she, she wrote a book called a hope another dangerous pursuits which is it's she captures the experience of immigration from Morocco to Spain. Mm -hmm. And and I just I I really love that collection. You know, it's like a collection of link stories. Um and it was it was just one of the most beautiful books that I have read. So it's one of my favorites. Wow, that's great. Is there a a book that you wish somebody would write, but you don't want to take on that that burden. <laughs> like what? That's the type of story out there that that you wish somebody would imagine or or create. I don't know. Um, I might end up writing it if I do come up with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think. It's kind of interesting to see how all of us writers, the way we find our next projects, right? Mm -hmm. Like like thinking about like what speaks to us, what interests us, um, what, what are the things that we need to say and how each of us interacts with the world through storytelling. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that that's what's beautiful. That's why, like, I love how there's so many different books because there's something for everybody. Yeah. And and not one book is not gonna speak to everyone because mm -hmm. that's not what a book should do. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, a book is not a one size fit all. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, like, there's so many books, so many different authors, so many different voices. And if a book doesn't speak to you, there's one that will. Mm -hmm. So it's important to like expose yourself to as many different kinds of literature and, and as many different kinds of authors, because there are some stories that you're not going to care about. And then there are other stories that are going to change your, your life. You know, mm -hmm. they're going to like totally just open your eyes and help you see the world differently. So look, look up for those stories. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's great advice. I always encourage people to read, read everything, even stuff that you don't think you might like, because you don't know. You don't know how what what might inspire you in those in those books. Right. Yeah. I mean, just give it a try, and then also, and don't force yourself to finish a book if it's not speaking to you. Because reading should be a, a an enjoy and like something that you you enjoy, not 
torture yourself. Yep, that's right. Life's too short. <laughs> Life's yeah. too short. There are too many good books. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I um I don't know. Like I think like with my son, like he really loves graphic novels, and mm -hmm. so I always feel sometimes people criticize people's reading tastes you know and I always say hey as long as you're reading then then read whatever interests you whether it's comic books whether it's graphic mm -hmm. novels whatever whatever it is as long as you're reading I think that's what's important yeah yeah absolutely we have to to regain or repopularize the the habit of of reading mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's something um the pandemic helped us with that because yeah. reading increased so much during the lockdown mm -hmm. you know i mean people were reading so much and it boosts book sales and then it also uh, helped with um audiobooks it popularized audiobooks like mm -hmm. so now more and more audiobooks are being produced because there was such a big uh, demand for audiobooks during the lockdown. And that, that, and that's something that I really hope we don't lose, you know, like that we don't lose that, that discover, rediscovering how much we need stories. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I never expected to get into the head of a, of an Irishman when I started reading your, your book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I have an ancestor who who was Irish. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I was when I was working on the novel, I kind of worried a little bit about writing outside of my culture. You know, I mean, there's some there's we've been having a conversation in terms of like who gets to tell what story and and mm -hmm. and like cultural appropriation and and things like that and should we be writing outside of our lived experiences outside of our culture outside of you know um and so when I was writing that book I, I did worry about doing that but I it made me it made me try harder to be very respectful of the way I was writing about the Irish um and also, like, make sure that I did the, my due diligence, right, by doing my research, by consulting with Irish historians, by just every everything that I did, everything I could mm -hmm. to make sure that I was I was being very respectful mm -hmm. of of this culture that I was writing about. But the other difference too is that you know I've never gone around saying my book is the book on you know about the Irish experience yeah. that everyone needs to read, and I'm not putting down any like of the Irish re writers. Mm -hmm. I feel that my book is in conversation with yeah. other books about the Irish immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, since 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 you bring that up, right? We I I do feel. That we're we're losing something in this generation, or in our time—not generation, but in our time—where there there's so much policing of each other, and who has the right and not the right to tell the stories, even though it's it's always it was always the author's perspective of that culture and that you know you like you like you don't you don't. But I I I never understood the the tendency to say you. You cannot tell a story from a certain perspective because historically it's it's always been done, right? Writers have always been been writing. You know, men have been writing from women's perspective. Women's have been writing from men's perspective. You know, the a lot of very popular authors have been. Yeah, but I think I think it also depends on how how those stories are handled. Mm -hmm. or how they're marketed you know how they're promoted and I and for me like my my thing is that you know when publishers are elevating voices of yeah. authors who who are writing outside you know who were never this or never that mm -hmm. and yet those are the stories we're elevating and putting down 
people who who are writing writing from their own authentic experiences right that mm -hmm. to me is the problem that yeah. that that no that we should we should never be doing that well and, and i feel it's strange to me because it's, i see it happening more in fiction or literary world mm -hmm. but in academia because people ask me right because i i have a book on, on latinos right on latino immigrants and the people ask me if, if I get criticized, right? And maybe behind me, but like, and also because it's called the community so small, right? They, they know, they know me, but, but I haven't heard anything because in, in scholarship, right? In, in academia, mm -hmm. right? The, 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 but that's historically, right? It's always been, especially for sociologists, right? You go into mm -hmm. another culture, Right, you do ethnography, you try to understand it, and then you try to make sense of it, and and, and you mm -hmm. work. right. That's it's always been done. Yeah, but you're not walking around saying, "Hey, my book is the authority on Latino immigration." Mm -hmm. No, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're contributing, yeah. you're contributing your own perspective, your mm -hmm. own voice yeah. to to the, the stories of Latino immigration and mm -hmm. your book is in conversation with other books on Latino immigration yeah. but your publisher's not like putting it up on a pedestal and saying this is the book everybody needs to read on no, Latino no. immigration well like, and also especially I, I wrote about prosperity gospel Pentecostals yeah. and I'm not prosperity gospel or Pentecostal right <laughs> so and I make that very clear so right so right. I, there was a certain expectation when they read it it was clearly an outsider trying to understand that uh, that world right right so. yeah i mean i think it just comes down to to being able to write with um with respect you know for the community you're writing about mm -hmm. yeah definitely well reina this this has been great thank you so much for your time i yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for your support. Thank you for reading my work and and for, you know, joining us in this in this uh, lucha, right? As we continue to to advocate for our immigrant communities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In in one of your books, you talk about I think you write to your daughter that, you know, you never imagined you would someday be, you know, you would know uh, Sandra Cisnero, you'd be riding in the car with uh, Julia Alvarez or whatever. Mm. This is my moment. Like I, when I read your book, I never thought I would be one day. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so thank you. Thank you for, um, for making this possible. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really enjoy speaking with you and, um, and uh, discovering our our common love for cristal. <laughs> <laughs> we should start a cristal club. <laughs> a no, fan, fan I'm club. sure. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Reina, thank you so much. And... Thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.